0: And so, you know, wearable can give you that extra data point. I mean, it's not the end game, it's a data point. You can at least decide whether you should reach out or not, you know, like a touch point.
1: Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand
0: what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra enhanced living.
1: Hey, folks, it's RJ Singh here, and I am super grateful that you are joining us on this week's episode of the Ultra Habits podcast. So, today we are talking to Chuck Hazard. Chuck is an entrepreneur and wearable expert. He currently heads up Heads Up Health, excuse the pun, and they are a leading connected health platform being used for remote patient monitoring. Precision medicine and in individuals that are seeking to achieve peak performance. Chuck is also an advisor to several companies in the health and wellness sector. And, you know, he's definitely our tribe. He runs, he cycles, and uh, he pushes his body as best as he can. So, Chuck was uh, definitely someone that I wanted to get on the show. I was introduced to him through Charlie Engel. We all know Charlie. He's been on the show a couple times, and I wanted the opportunity to unpack this whole movement around managing and monitoring data. Like, how much more performance can we get? The myths, the truths, you know, everything in between as to what the reality is when it comes to accessing our data and then using that to optimize. You know, with all the information and all the intelligence and all the data out there, it can sometimes become overwhelming. And sometimes, particularly for me when I'm training and I'm tired and fatigued, the last thing I want to do is be monitoring my data. (laughs) And we dive into this in detail. We talk about the application of this new technology. You know, wearables are everywhere now. They come in rings and watches and bracelets and data. Everyone's talking about data and how this data can be used. I wanted the opportunity to spin this into some detail as to where can we really take this? How much information should we be using? What is the right information? You know, there's a lot of myths. And, you know, when we talked, Chuck did you know, make it clear as well that not all the data is good data too. So, you know, we dive into that as well. So anyone out there that's into performance, into data, artificial intelligence, or just wants to understand where the future of wearable technologies is going, I highly recommend this conversation. You will find Chuck super engaging. He was super cool to talk to, and I really enjoyed having This discussion. So if you haven't, make sure you do go to www.ultrahabits.co. Check out the stuff we got there in regards to content. I've got more information coming up around my Guinness Book World Record Challenge, where I'll be attempting to do 12,000 burpees in 24 hours. And I am Monitoring my data on this one, and I've got an opportunity to really dive deep into it. I'm just contemplating how much I want to know, but it is interesting to understand the ebbs and flows of my performance and as to why that performance is ebbing and flowing. And I'm sure for those of you out there that are interested within your context, you know, within your life, you'll really get some. Golden nuggets out of this conversation. Anyways, folks, I'm out of here. I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Chuck. Peace. Chuck, welcome to Ultra Habits, man. It's great to have you on the show. It's about 7 a.m. here in Melbourne, Australia.
0: Yeah, well, that's, uh, I
1: guess you'd call it 1500 here in uh, Vermont, in the U.S. <laughs> and I could see your cat in the back doing his thing on the treadmill. That's what I feel like in life sometimes. That's
0: right.
1: He's <laughs> kind of, he's moving his legs. For those of you that will watch the YouTube video, the cat's kind of attempting to have an exercise, but it's not really. He's kind of like, I don't really like this.
0: <laughs> well, they sometimes sprint on the treadmill. Some of the cats do, at least.
1: Oh, do they? Yeah, do they? Yeah. Yeah. So, Vermont, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't know you were in Vermont. My uh, my buddy Joe DeSena's there. Have you ever been yeah. out to
0: his... Farm? Yes, uh I should have worn my hat. I've got one of his uh hats from one of his races. He puts on the uh, even for Spartan. He put on some of the most crazy
1: fifty milers that you would just kill you, break your soul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he's invited my son and myself to his farm in June next year, so my son can do the Spartan Kids and I can do the Death Race. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I'd love to. Um, yeah. I'm actually on his our podcast is air- airing next week on the 28th. So we had a really good chat on his podcast. So he's he's definitely uh, been an influence for me and someone that we love on the show. But um, yeah, welcome, Chuck. So you and I connected originally from our mutual friend, Charlie Engel. You know, I had Charlie on the show and Charlie's always a wheeler and dealer. He's like, man, you got to meet this guy. You know, Chuck, he's always in the <laughs> middle of something, right? Right. And uh, he's just an amazing... He just he he's such a good storyteller and he's so good at kind of hyping um a situation up. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he, you know, he introduced you to me as, you know, someone that is an expert in wearable technology, but somebody that was looking at using wearable technology in the data, particularly with him, for things that were maybe non-conventional. So Charlie said to me that. Because, you know, we're both in recovery, we're we're both in Alcoholics Anonymous and, and Recovering Addicts that, you know, through wearable technology, there was this potential to be able to start to track people coming out of rehabs and start to understand their biology in a way that could lead us to know when they were in trouble. And I found that super interesting. And that's kind of the flavor of the conversation I wanted to have with you today. I think we all know that the application for athletes, cool, and I think we can discuss that. But where is wearable technology going, Chuck, in areas like what, you know, Charlie was talking about? And is that something that is real? Yeah. I mean, just to back up a little bit, I mean, it's, you know,
0: <clears throat> the wearables have come a long way from the, one of the first companies, Polar, you know, for a- athletes had, you know, watches, you found a heart strap, foot pod to track your mileage. Um, and I was thinking about that because uh, it's interesting to see how quickly things have evolved. Like, for instance, I remember in 2007, I heard about this Simon guy from the UK developed some a, a company called Ethlete, and it used a little train receiver or broadcasting thing, I guess, a, transceiver that was coded to polar chest straps back in the day in 2007, which seems like a long time ago, right? And that was the first thing I tested that you could actually, you know, see where your recovery was. And so, you know, you fast forward through like the Whoop band that came out around 2013, 2014, the Oura Ring, now Garmin, Polar, everybody is tracking heart rate variability. And so, that, uh, metric, uh, caught a lot of attention from people, uh, you know, like Charlie, for instance, in the, you know, for addicts, you know, trying to recover because, uh, it's one of the few metrics that can actually, um, show if somebody's struggling with stress, you know, for whatever, whatever it is, could be mental, could be physical or anything like that. And so we start talking about using uh, whatever wearable we wanted to use, they could track that. So if you got a baseline for somebody when they're in a treatment center, when they come out, you could follow that and see the trending. If it was going down pretty cl- quickly, the trends, uh, you might want to reach out to somebody and say, hey, you know, do you want to talk or uh, something like that? So that's where we were kind of heading with that. Um, but there are for most of the wearables, there, there are a lot more sensors coming out that could make that even a better um, thing to look at. Uh, so uh, some of the wearables now have sensors on them that actually look at the sweat coming off your skin. Um, and so with those, you actually get a direct measurement about, you know, how somebody's doing, like mentally or, you know, distress in general. Um, so, from using these things and looking at trends, you can actually see if somebody's, um, you know, adapting to the stress they have in life. If they're not adapting, and they're an addict, addict, um, you know, they got to relapse because they can't deal with the stress. So, what's their normal thing they would do is they'd reach for, you know, beer or their drug of choice, and they relapse, and that's what happens to most people coming out of treatment centers. Uh, They relapse. I think Charlie told me like, I don't know, 25%, I mean the 95% of uh,
1: people relapse. The statistics are pretty shit, Chuck, you know, in terms of long-term sobriety. And it's funny because um, I live in the mountains here in Melbourne and there's three rehabs around my house. They're all the same uh, rehab, but they have three different facilities. They're very beautiful facilities and uh i was actually there yesterday talking with some of the people there and i had a really good chat with a pt and mm-hmm. who was there on site and we were talking about the unique physiology of addicts particularly people in early recovery and how much they swing right. and you i i didn't mention to him it's funny that we're having this conversation today because we were talking about like wearables never came up in that discussion but it was like well how do we start to help the addict regulate a bit more and and running for me was a big part of my story early recovery like I just ran and very similar to, to to Charlie in that way so I think what you're talking about is super interesting have you found adoption of the product in the market for like people in recovery or is this something that is still an idea or has it actually been implemented?
0: Um, it's mostly still in, I guess, pilot phase. Um, there are some uh, clinics, they uh, tend to be the smaller one uh, here in the U.S. Uh, where people can, you know, they don't have to stay there if they don't want, if they have a job, they can go home to their families uh, if they want. Um, and so clinics like that are open to using wearables uh, because people aren't there all the time under supervision and so you know wearable can give you that extra data point i mean it's not the end game but it's a data point that you can at least decide whether you should reach out or not you know like a touch point and not you're not you know usually going to use it to say hey we think you're using drugs again but it's more about hey, let's just talk. I just want to catch up with you. And they don't know, you know, why you're catching up. You know, where's the data or something else? Um, Somebody saw you and, you know, reached out to you kind of thing. But it's just like in normal healthcare. You know, if you go to a doctor once a year, you know, wouldn't you want to have like data points in between those visits so you can see how somebody's doing on a protocol, a drug you gave them, uh, uh, lifestyle changes you advise, um, but, you know, again, nobody thinks about that in healthcare, and nobody's thinking about that in recovery, uh, in the recovery space.
1: And the reality is, like, you'd learn a lot. Like, if someone was wearing the wearable, and then all of a sudden they took it off, chances are they relapsed. <laughs> <laughs> they, well, they, yeah. You know, like, they are got kind of to tell on themselves. Because like, I mean, particularly if you're on something like meth or hard drugs, like, if, if you were monitoring someone's data, you would definitely see... The variation, I would imagine, right, if someone... Yeah, there. yeah. And that's, you know, in the, one of
0: the companies that I work with, Heads Up Health, they have, um, you know, dashboards for, like, clinicians, um, sort of compliance. You can see if somebody actually connected, you know, their weight scale or the wearable you want them to use, like an aura ring to track their sleep. And so it's not only just give that data, but are they using it? Is it, you know, attached to the dashboard? Uh, And then you can reach out and say, hey, we know this, you're not wearing your aura ring
1: Why? Or you're not using a weight scale, (laughs) you know? So, Chuck, what's the adoption been like in corporates, mate? Like, is that something, like, uh, because I I know that in theory, this sounds good. And I think there's been a lot of talk around, you know, there's, um, for instance, here in Australia, a, a guy I know, Craig. He's got a a program for founders, startups. Now, they're there by choice, and they wear the aura ring, and they monitor yeah. the data. But that's different because they're there by choice, and they don't feel yeah. like Craig and the program. They're monitoring them to kind of drive performance in, in a sense like they're working for them, right? The man, so to speak. Right. But with, I, I guess my question to you is I think in theory, like if I was on the board of directors for a firm, I would be very interested in my C-suite being monitored, right? And, you know, and and as a C-suite person, I could potentially be open to that until I feel like maybe the board is using that, you know, for means to kind of micromanage me. And has adaptation in corporate happened and is it happening or are there challenges because of privacy issues and stuff like that or other challenges?
0: Uh, I think in general people are worried about privacy. Uh, so, but in in the, the corporate space, I think it's more about they they're used to the model of where they count steps, because the people running the programs are like the HR person, and they've already got a full plate in their mind. So, you know, that's what they're used to. And but if they actually looked at, you know. Where are the costs for the healthcare that they're paying for? Is it coming from? And if they actually look closely at it, they'd probably see it's like 10% of their employees are driving that because they've got chronic illness. And if they actually have like a holistic approach to employee wellness, so it'd be a, a combination of, you know, maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, do blood labs for every employee. Uh, you have an in-office uh, clinic where people can go in to have their niggles looked at. Um You have wearables as part of the program. So people with challenges about, you know, more than steps, like, you know, getting actual exercise, like getting your heart rate up, walking fast. Um, How's your sleep? Uh, How's your stress level? Um, But they haven't, most of the corporate wellness programs haven't gotten there. But what you talked about, that's happening in, especially certain verticals, like um, in the financial space, you know, the C suite, they are actually going out to companies like Whoop and Aura and buying rings because they look at it more of like you guys are the sports team. You know, you need to be at the top of your game when you're trading stocks or whatever. And so we want you to perform like an athlete. And so usually they can do that by, you know, kind of painting it more like a team kind of thing. We're all in this together. We want to produce. We all get the bonus at the end of the year if we hit our, our milestones. So, that is uh, starting to happen uh, in certain verticals, but not in employee wellness in general. It st- still hasn't happened here in the US. Yeah.
1: yeah we I'm um, contracting in a, a pretty good firm. I'm currently working with a company and the CEO around some stuff and, um, in sales and whatnot, but they've got a very good internal culture. They've got houses, so like Hogwarts. Yeah. And part of the competition within those is steps. And it's funny because everyone assumes cause I'm a runner, my steps will be really high. And I'm like, not necessarily, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I I'm a trail runner. I kind of uh I, I kind of um <laughs> scuttle. I don't necessarily stride. So That's right. it <laughs> with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, I'm yeah. trying to keep my yeah, I'm trying to keep my impact low, my my yeah. stride uh short. So okay, yeah, that that's that that's interesting. So um I want to shift the conversation, Chuck, to to more about yourself. So, you know, you've lived a life of endurance, too, and you've been in this kind of wearables game for a very long time. And, you know, before the show started, we talked about some of the stress uh, you've accumulated from being in endurance for so long. Did you see that coming, given that you are into wearables, or was that something that you were able to... You know have a grasp on uh not i mean not exactly
0: i mean i uh you know I've, i i didn't talk about way back but i mean i i was originally a cyclist it's the opposite most people they uh runners go to cycling because their knees go bad right i did the other yeah. thing i was a long distance cyclist commuted to work on a bicycle um that i get into running not till i really into running till i was in my 40s and It worked out pretty well. I got, you know, went from small, you know, trail races to ultras pretty quickly. Things are going pretty well. Um, And I did too many marathons and too many ultras when I was 51. Um, And, you know, the wheels came off. Like I just had no energy all of a sudden. So I, I had a friend who was a cardiologist. I was fortunate. And so I went to see him and he gave me a full workup. And he just wanted to see what made me tick. So he didn't charge me for anything. So he did, you know, cardiac uh, ultrasounds. Oh, I guess that's an echocardiogram. Had me do stress tests while doing all this stuff with ECG on, on a tr- treadmill for three hours. Um, and, you know, everything. And, uh, and he's the first one that told me, he said, you know, from everything you've done over the years, you've actually caused a uh, fairly substantial remodeling of your heart. And it's, it's a form of damage, you know, because you're, you know, you're running, well, you're keeping your heart running at a high rate, you know, too often throughout the year competing. And uh, one chamber gets bigger than the rest, where you're, you know, pulling in all the oxygen and blood. And so he told me that, you know, you're probably going to end up having athid. And he, he told me, you know, there are lots of studies out for like endurance rowers, where the whole teams ended up in their fifties with AFib after college, one came out of uh, Oxford. Like the whole rowing team ended up with AFib. Can you, you know, explain what AFib is, Chuck? To the uh, AFibulation is it's one of many um, uh, signaling issues in the heart where your heartbeat uh, isn't normal. Like it's it's sort of erratic. Like every ten beats might be erratic. And so, like Apple came out in 2000, well, with the Apple Watch 4, uh, where they included ECG on the watch. Uh, most recently this year, they came out with uh, what they call AFib history, where every 15 minutes they use, um, they actually do a sampling for high rate variability uh, and see if there's a presence of AFib in the signal. Um, and, this, and this is interesting, I'll get back that minute, tell you something interesting, how somebody without even looking at the ECG can can surmise they might have AFib. So anyway, um, so there were lots of things like, you know, uh, watches now, Withings, uh, skin watch, you can look at AFib. AliveCore makes all kinds of devices, different models, you can check AFib. But um, um, anyway, the way, um, along the way in my career, one of the companies I worked for was Aura Ring. Uh, I was one of the first employees there and I stayed there through... Um, uh, the launch of the, almost the launch of the uh, the Oura Ring 3. And we used to have a lot of users that complained about gaps in their data, like they didn't see heart rate or heart rate variability. And so we look we look at their data, and it's because it was so much noise in it. And we, you know, figured out pretty quickly with the science team that it's likely they had heart rate signaling issues. Now, if you don't take out the bad data like Aura does... And you have a wearable that shows all your whole heart um, heart rate and HRV throughout the night. Um, and this is what I started to see that I knew I likely had AFib and I started testing for it. Is you'll see, you know, your heart rate could be just going along here throughout the night. And it goes up like 40 points and then stays up there for a period of time. And HRV does the same thing. It's like a waterfall. Um, and I start seeing that in patterns um, on uh, garments. Like in a garment on my 4 955, and some other wearables that I was able to send their HRV to uh, Apple Health and look at it there, and so I I finally had one where I saw that uh, it happened late in, in the sleep, and it stayed up at the point I wake up, woke up, so I happened to have in a live core device, so I put it on my knee. It's a six, um, uh, anyway, you don't have to go in that six channel uh, ECG you can buy, and anyway it said you're an AFib. So, I kept testing every hour and I was an AFib for about four hours after I woke up. So, anyway, if you see that pattern where your the heart rate goes straight up while you're sleeping where it shouldn't and stays there for a while, that is likely AFib or something like it.
1: That's incredible. And we don't hear this dialogue. Like, you know, I, I've had random people say to me, Oh, you shouldn't run so much, you know, and I'm like, dude, shut up. Yeah, like in my head, I'm like, writing them off as one of those unhealthy people. Right. But I mean, this kind of shifts the paradigm, right? Like, and it maybe it's not in the interest of performance-related devices like Garmin to really talk about it because Garmin is so intrinsically connected to people doing hard shit, (laughs) right? Like, you know, like, you don't want to start telling people not to, right? Like, yeah. but I mean, being exposed... You know, with your personal situation and being exposed to daughter for so long, and understanding you're not a doctor, but just anecdotally, like, is there, is there any information out there saying that living a life of endurance, there's, comes a point where it, it's actually worse than maybe being out of shape. Like, is there a point where it's too much?
0: Now, I, well, any doing anything for too much is bad right? It's about balance, but yes, if you, I mean, almost, most of the, the best ultra runners, the hundred mile people, they, they tend to disappear pretty quickly. Uh, and some of them have actually admitted that they, they did the equivalent of frying like their nervous system because they kept their, their, um, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not as sure exactly what the part of your brain is, but, uh, they basically burned out, uh, you know their ability and they to to do what they were doing to be at that high level, and so they can't. They had no energy, I and mean, they just like burn themselves out, basically, lack like a better term. And you should get somebody on that understands exactly what part of the brain and physiology that wrecks. But yeah, um, but I, you know, it's not like anybody. You know, we shouldn't say that just because you, you know, run ten marathons a year. Uh, like Ed Wheelock, and I don't think he ever had AFib. Anybody talked about it, but I mean, it's not that you're going to get AFib, but uh, if you are, a you know, a chronic endurance athlete, uh, you will remodel your heart. There's no way around it. That's just a, a sort of a byproduct of what you're doing. And it's not a bad thing. I think you're still way healthier. All the research I looked at than a couch potato will ever be. Um, so, you know, life's uh, longevity, absolutely better for an endurance person across the board. AFib's not the end game. I mean, it's not that you're going to die from it. And I don't think uh, I haven't gone for a workup yet, but I'm guessing they're going to come back and say, you know, we're not going to treat you with anything uh, like a beta blocker for this. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had after that incident, I haven't anymore any more after that. So who knows what why it came on.
1: I was thinking the other day, you know, like if when you look at, races and even marathons regular road marathons um many a times there's actual casualties like fatalities you don't hear about it when you're running because they kind of obviously not going to advertise it but i mean i've been in a couple ultras where people have passed away as well as just regular road marathons do you think that if those individuals were more in tune with their data in during training there could have been some view of potential issues. Like, would Uh, that have helped? Like, it's in the
0: I mean, I, you know, you did, I think the problem with, with people, even athletes, uh, and the people that die, you know, that's probably some undiagnosed heart defect or something like that. Or, uh, they've, there was somebody that had a really bad lifestyle and late in life, they decide to get into running. And they already had uh, blockage in an artery, you uh, know. And, and again, it's so it's less about the data, but people like that, um, you know, there may be, you know, they may tell a friend and say, "Yeah, it's really weird." Like I'm watching TV, and you know, why is my heart rate up around 100 beats per minute? You know, and you know, like, dude, it shouldn't be that. If you're, you know, if you're even reasonably healthy, <laughs> it should be like in the 40s or 50s, even if you're not a hardcore athlete. But but I think the problem is, is a lot of people, even if they're athletic, like myself, um, you believe, like, you know, I, nothing's got, ever going to happen to me because I, I've never smoked, I eat healthy, and I exercise a lot, right? What could possibly go wrong? Well, I started getting headaches. I'll tell you what can go wrong when I uh, turned 60 years old and... Uh, my wife finally said, Go to the doctor, and I did. And they test my blood pressure. I never test my other than for 100 miles where they test your blood pressure, and it's high anyway. And I was in like severe hypertension. So I've got high blood pressure. So I'm on drugs for that. So there you go, eating healthy exercise. Um, and uh, but anyway, so I, I test my own blood. Do I run my own blood labs a lot? And I've kind of noticed this one bio blood marker called APLB which is they found now is one of the better indicators of if you're going to have blockage in your arteries, right? And that's when the lights go out, like the runner, right? Where you die at the finish line. Um, and so it's trending in the wrong direction. So I told my doctor, put me on a statin. And as much as I hate statins, I got to get that number down because I don't want to have the lights go out at the end of a race.
1: <laughs> so. Hey, Chuck, do you know Gil? Blander? Mm. Yeah. No, Gil, yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah. Yeah. He was my second guest on the show. Yeah, yeah started a few years ago. So, yeah. it, 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 your your data and information or the how, how does that interact? So just for the audience, Gil was a our um guest on season 1, second episode and he I call him Dr. Dr. Blood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he effectively measures your blood, right, for biomarkers. And yeah. so how does the, the wearables interact with someone like his product?
0: Well, it's just part of the picture, right? I mean, because, um, you know, if you just look at what one blood marker in a vacuum, that doesn't really necessarily tell you a lot. You need to look at the big picture. And I mean, even like APOB, APOB, um, you know, there might be some other things you want to look at, like triglycerides. Um you know, it, it depends who you talk to, like Peter Atia, you know, he has the things he likes to look at, different doctors look at different combinations of markers. And like even the, when I went for the hypertension workup with a cardiologist at a local hospital up here uh, in in uh, New Hampshire, where in the New Hampshire border, even though she had tested for APOB uh, on my blood panel, she, she didn't mention it during the consult. She was just hammering me on my total cholesterol. And I said, <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's high. But I said, you know, I can lower that 100 points in six months through a couple of easy things. She said, no, you can. And I said, give me it. I'll do it. But if she had lectured me on the APOB and said, I want you to go on a statin, I'd, I probably would have said fine. But she never did. She said, I want to put you on a statin because your your total cholesterol is 310. And I'm like, no. And she wouldn't. You know, so anyway, I I went on berberine. and I have to be one of those people that takes berberine. It lowered my total cholesterol 100 points, and I sent it to her. And she said, how'd you do that? And I said, berberine. I got it off Amazon. It's over the counter. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck, you're funny.
1: <laughs> what
0: an OG. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, but, it, you know, so the thing is, is data, again, people are, even if you don't have data, if you feel like you're... Your heart's racing a lot, right? Or you look in the mirror and your fl- your your face is flush all the time. There's probably something going on, so go get a blood test. Or if you have got a wearable and your heart rate's elevated all the time, you know, or you've got markers that change dramatically really quickly, you know, go see a doctor. I mean, there there I mean there are hundreds of studies, probably thousands, of millions now, even with Fitbits, which I hate for accuracy issues, but you see story after story over the years where somebody had a wearable and they have been literally sitting on an officer on a bench said, oh my God, my heart rate's over 100. And even if the wearable's not terribly accurate, if you're still, it's probably reasonably accurate. They've gone to the hospital and they've been told, thank God, you're ready to have a heart attack. And again, if the blood's not pumping into your heart, what do you think happens? Your heart rate goes up. You start feeling weird. You know, But a lot of people are incognizant, so if you've got the data and you think it looks weird, go to the doctor.
1: Call an ambulance. <laughs> you know, so. Chuck, so back to um, athletes, Just this is a subjective question, just pulling out and looking high level. Would you say that access to data has improved performance across endurance sports?
0: No, I, I mean, if you look at the top athletes uh, and listen to them talk about how they train and when they race, uh, it's like some of these, like Killian Jornet. I mean, he's the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And he wears a, a no chest strap, wears a Coros Pace on, high, like on Hard Rock, and I think UTMB. And I think he would acknowledge that the heart rate on those things sucks uh, off the wrist. But he... he 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 uh, trains and races, and he's a lot of them like, people like him based on RPE. You know what's his perceived exertion? Because he knows his body, and these top athletes like that, they know their bodies. No one had they don't have to look at a watch and tell them what their heart rate is, and they know how to pace. If they're winning hundred milers they know exactly how to pace. Um, I mean, in like it depends on the sport, I guess. In the Tour de France type, the, the high end cyclists, they've got you know sensors, power meters connected to radios that go to the cars and doctors and performance people yapping in the ears, in their ears, in the Peloton, you know, who's going to be the away? Yeah. So they got all the data. Is it good? I don't know. I mean, there's some stuff like, uh, I, uh, I just started testing the uh, the core temperature sensor that comes from Greentag. I think that's actually pretty interesting because I know I've been in like mountain races in the summer here in Vermont where you inevitably run out of water on the second time of the friggin' mountain. And, you know, the heat is, un, it's usually unbelievable. And you wonder why, why your performance goes to hell. You know, you should jump in a brook because, you know, your body's overheating. And the core temperature sensor can tell you that to verify. But
1: again, yeah. your body knows it. You don't have to need any data to tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, It's funny when the seasons change and I'm running in the heat and I've been running in the cold my mind will start be, like I'll start being like, why is my perform like it never just r- rains on me that yeah, dude, it's like a hundred degrees or right? We, we're Celsius, but like I'll start thinking, wow, I'm really unfit. Like two weeks ago, I was yeah. super fit. It's like okay, well, it's super hot, right? Like it, yeah. the the heat is just doesn't even come to to right. mind. But um, yeah. So
0: yeah, so data is interesting, but again, you know, people you know, say, Jesus, you how many wearables do you wear a day per a day? And I'm like, too many. Do you look at the data? I'm like, not really. You know, I do it to test them, but I the, the data to me, like Garmin, if it's set, you know, the new metrics Garmin came out with, like training readiness, who gives a rat's ass? I know how sore I am, you know, for riding up the mountain the other day. I'm not doing repeats today that you want me to
1: do. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And and if, if an ultra athlete actually paid attention to their Garmin, they wouldn't be training like they no. had to anyway. I mean, the reality is the rest will tell you to wait 48 hours sometimes. You're like, dude, yeah. I got to run next. Week. Well, yeah. I don't have you ever had Jason coupon from Right? No, I thought about actually getting him as a, you should. a coach when I was running back in the day. But yeah, I should get him. He's in the Marin County, right? No, uh, he's in uh, Colorado.
0: Oh, he's in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. So Mountain Time. But anyway, yeah, you should have him on because, uh, yeah, he he's a wonderful guy. I, I met him when he was uh, following Dean Karnazes around, whatever his name is, in his fifty marathons and fifty days. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so I talked to him when he was doing that.
1: I think he also might have been involved with Iron Cowboy. Yeah, which uh, role? Yeah, that was well,
0: Biostrap, and there's a data scientist out of Europe that was uh, working on that project.
1: The that the Iron Cowboy. Yeah, I'm a maniac. So what we'll do, Chuck, is we'll land the plane here, um, but we always kind of end on habits or things that our audience could implement. Like, let's just say for the average, what we call in Australia, the punter, the regular average Joe, in a, you know, they buy a wearable and they're now becoming like, you know, when people do, when they get gear, they're like all into it. And... We just want these people to calm down a little bit like what are some basic things that you would recommend around how to actually just use the wearable with some common sense
0: <laughs> yeah well the, the the one the one thing that drives me nuts is people inevitably they get a device that tracks sleep and they're like i don't get enough deep sleep and i always tell them to don't focus on sleep stages one they're not very accurate the wearables and reading those but sleep stages were artificially created. They're not based on science. And that's another topic for another day. Yeah, right. um, but anyway, just look at the total amount of sleep. Try and be consistent. If the wearable shows you this, a lot of them do now in graphs over time. When you go to bed and when you wake up seven days a week, that goes a long ways towards health. Sleep's important. Get seven to nine hours for an otherwise healthy adult per night. That's the starting point. Not you know Nail your sleep down. And a werewolf should, hopefully can help you do that. Other than that, during the day, in the week, just, you know, the, here in the U.S., the CDC says have 150 active minutes per week. That's getting, you know, brisk walking or above. Yeah, and accumulate, that's a great target. If you can move that much, do it. You don't have to be an athlete, a runner, or a swimmer, anything. Just go out there and walk the dog after dinner, you know, briskly for an hour every night.
1: That's excellent, Chuck. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. No problem, (laughs) man. Uh, It was fun. Thank you.